Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. It seems harder and harder to make sure you're getting the best possible medical care. You can be prepared to take an active role in the process. On today's show, we're going to be discussing how to do that um, with Alan Ettinger, author of the book, The Essential Patient Handbook. This book is a guide to how you can be a more involved partner in your medical care. Dr. Ettinger is a neurologist who specializes in epilepsy. He's helped establish epilepsy centers across Long Island, and he strives to assess those with difficult-to-control seizures. Having read his book, I get the sense that having cared extensively for people with a chronic condition that's difficult to treat, he's really learned a lot about how patients can help him help them get great medical care. Dr. Ettinger, thank you so much for being on the program today. I loved your book, The Essential Patient Handbook. Tell me, what motivated you to write this work? Well, thank you very much, and let me say it's a pleasure to be on your show. As you, as readers of The Essential Patient Handbook will see, uh, this book was inspired by an experience uh, of my wife and mine in around 1995, uh, my wife is a physician, and she is co-author of this book, uh, Dr. Deborah Weisbrot. During that time, she unfortunately incurred a very severe case of the flu, and before we knew it, uh, I found myself uh, witnessing her being brought via ambulance to major hospitals where tubes were inserted down the throat, her respirations were being controlled by machines, she was paralyzed, and suddenly from a situation where we were young individuals with the parents of young children and everything going well in our life, suddenly a horrifying and very uh, most unusual and uh, crazy circumstances of a devastating health condition. I'm happy to tell you that months later, Deborah recovered from this illness uh, virtually completely. It was really miraculous. Uh, At the time, we were told the chances were not good for survival. We're very, and while we were very grateful uh, that uh, this recovery had occurred, on the other hand, we reflected on the fact that when we were both put into the role of patient and family member of a patient, it was a very, very difficult experience. We lost the sense of control where we were used to being the ones who were calling the shots and directing uh, other staff members how to take care of our patients. Here we were sort of helpless, and we could only speculate that if it was so difficult for doctors, it, it must be extraordinarily difficult 
for individuals who have not gone to medical school and don't have necessarily an understanding of medical concerns. So our book was really written to try to arm patients, and we are all ultimately patients, to arm all of us with the, the knowledge and necessary tools to be able to handle as best we can our visits to the doctors, our interactions with healthcare providers, and uh, what we saw as very intimidating experiences that all of us could incur in, the, uh, in medical circumstances. One of the things I really liked about your book was that you've organized things the way doctors think and you sort of cluing patients into to what the doctors uh, need to give patients the best possible care. Is that how you would frame it? Yes, and I uh, very much, again, uh, appreciate your compliment about that. The reason we wrote the book in this fashion is the, the, the book is really trying to translate the doctorish gobbledygook uh, understanding terms and really understanding the psyche of the doctor. What is their approach? How do they approach getting a history? What are they looking for in an examination? What are their strategies when they order tests? And what are the strategies with regard to treatments? And then if you understand that, you are much better equipped to then ask the important questions and have a better understanding of, of your own healthcare needs. You know, I think the customer is always right. And so I think in medical school, they, they try to teach the doctors to understand the patients. And I think what you're doing is extremely helpful, getting the patients to help understand the doctors. It, it empowers patients to be a, a more active, um, more useful participant in the process. Well, thank you. Um, and I, I would just like to say that, um, you know, my fear with, uh, readers looking at this book is that uh, people might say, oh, this is another nicey-nice uh, attempt to, be, uh, to appeal to doctors to be more sensitive. In fact, this book is very different from that approach. The, this book takes the very practical sense that doctors are busy, uh, there's diminished reimbursements today. Doctors are spending less and less time with their patients. And therefore, rather than just simply bemoaning that fact, what this book attempts to do is to arm patients with the knowledge they need so that they can ask questions and prepare their information very efficiently for the doctors so that a patient is not hemming and hawing trying to recall what did Aunt Sadie suffer from when the discussion hovers around the family history. All of that is prepared ahead of time, and by going preparing that information, that information can be exchanged quickly, and then there's much more time allocated to talk about the things that are important to the patient. I thought that you're... The, the anecdote you used to start the book about the manager of the auto repair shop was a, a very humorous and enlightening anecdote. Do you care to share it with the audience? Well, sure. Um, I think that uh, the the metaphor we used here was, or the analogy was one of an experience we all have going to the uh, car shop and to the auto repair place. And that is that um, you would never imagine yourself going to bringing your car in 
And when uh, the, the person says, so what's the problem with the car, you wouldn't start your discussion with something like, well, you know, I woke up today and uh, sequentially I, and subsequently I had uh, some breakfast. And after I had the breakfast, I put my coat on. And then after that, uh, I went into the car. No, what you have to do is really efficiently go right to the point. And basically what you would say about your car is, uh, well, I heard a rattling noise in, uh, coming from the back of the car. And it uh, sort of gets worse when I press on the gas and gets better when I uh, press the brake. In a very similar way, it's much more helpful to organize before you even see the doctor. Think ahead and say, so what is the main problem here? What's the main issue? And the point is not, you wouldn't go to the auto repair store and say to them, well, I've diagnosed that I have a, um, you know, I don't know car talk, by the way, very well. That's one of my real weaknesses. But I'm convinced it's the carburetor, and I think it's this cylinder and that cylinder. Or, or, no, what you would typically say is, well, I've noticed for the past three weeks that there's been a noise coming from the back of the car. These are the things that bring it on. These are the things that make it better, and so on. In a very similar way, it's very helpful to organize your thoughts about what's going on uh, before you even talk to the person. And I would even say further, in, in the Essential Patient Handbook, we also talk about what, we, what we've called the oh-did-I-mention syndrome. So an example would be a person comes to see their doctor, let's say, for a routine checkup, and everything checks out okay. And then upon leaving, the patient says to the doctor, oh, by the way, uh, oh, did I mention to you that last night I developed such an extreme headache? It was the worst headache of my life, and I still have, you know, those symptoms. It kept me up last night. Well, uh, what a shame that after going through the whole visit, that this symptom is mentioned at the end. This is something you don't want your doctor to rush through. So you want to think ahead. What are the important issues I want to get in the beginning? And then the doctor has more of a organized approach to handle the uh, discussion about the things that are important to you. I think a lot of times in medicine, some doctors you know, don't like to think of what we do as being analogous to other areas of commerce. But if I go into the auto repair place, uh, service center, and I probably have a number of things I want them to address, and it's kind of stressful when I get there. I, I'm likely to forget something. So, you know, I make a list of them and I present them up front, and it, it would seem like not to do that for something as important as your medical care would be insane. Well, I agree with you, and, and uh, an analogy again is that when we're done with this interview, I've written into my BlackBerry uh, calendar that I need to uh, pick up uh, some milk and get some paper towels that we've run out of in the house. I'm a busy physician. There's no way in, uh, that I would ever remember to pick up these things, even these minor kinds of things. So if we're prioritizing even these kind of trivial items, what, what statement does that make then about the importance of writing down and preparing the important points you want to talk to uh, with your doctor? As a physician, there's a lot of information I need to get from patients. And 
And I structure my visits with patients, you know, the way I count from 1 to 10. I, I, you know, if someone said, what are the numbers from 1 to 10? Well, I would tell them in order. You know, otherwise I'll forget something. And so similarly um, with patients, I'll, uh, I'm writing down my notes in kind of the, in a standardized way. I want to get the, that information from a patient in a standardized way. What, what's the problem? You know, what are the characteristics of the problem? What other things might be going on? What's, what, what past history do I need to know about? I love the way your book is basically organized into chapters, the way we doctors think, and, and um, lets patients know about each of those items in order um, to help organize their thinking to make our interaction as efficient as possible. Well, I think, again, that was the whole intent of the Essential Patient Handbook, that uh, if we can prepare ourselves in the typical order that the doctor will be asking questions, and again, this will lend itself to a much more efficient uh, exchange of information and leaves much more time for discussion about where do we go from here, what do we do, what do we think is going on. I'd like to also throw in uh, my own opinion about uh, certain statistics that are often bandied about. There's this common statistic, how much time does it take till the doctor interrupts the patient? Yes. And uh, people love to say, oh, it only takes, I, I forget what the latest statistic was, maybe it was seconds. about 16 <laughs> seconds so, um, before the doctor will interrupt the patient. And uh, this is statistic is bandied about as, the proof that doctors are not being uh, sensitive enough. And I, I must tell you, I really reject this. And while um, it may sound sort of off-putting, this idea of interrupting, the truth is that there's a lot of information to be conveyed. And um, because most individuals we see have not gone through medical school and don't necessarily appreciate the specific order that of organizing uh, medical information, we sometimes do have to interrupt and guide our patients so that they can convey the, the, the most important points. I often apologize to my patients at the very beginning of the interview, and I will often say to them, I want you to understand, I, please be prepared. I may interrupt you from time to time, and please understand that this is not designed to be off-putting, but rather it helps me to organize the information. And I find after explaining that to my patients that they understand and the interview tends to be very, very good and fruitful uh, for both of us. Oh, setting ground rules like that and explaining to patients why you're doing something, that's a a wonderful element of communication. And and I get the sense that if patients were to read the Essential Patient Handbook and just even just glean the basics from it, that might be a cure uh, for the tendency of doctors to interrupt because the doctors would then be getting the information they need in the order that they prefer to receive it. Uh, It would allow for greater flow from the patient. I, I certainly hope so, and that was, again, the intent of the book. I would say to you, uh, to be honest with you, there are many doctors who take a very sort of um, dogmatic way of uh, point of view of how histories should be obtained. And um, uh, let's, let's be real here. There are some doctors that uh, don't necessarily appreciate the patient that is prepared so well and seems to be, they, they prefer 
to be really so in charge and, and pushing things. I regret, uh, you know, encountering doctors of that nature. I, I think that's a lose-lose situation, and I would hope most doctors would appreciate the patient who's prepared very well and uh, conveys information in this fashion. You um, provided some forms in the book to help patients organize um, the information they give to their doctors. What are some key things that you think patients should have in writing for the doctor? Well, I think if, if nothing else, when one thinks about their symptoms, there are just some general fundamental questions that you can ask of yourself, and if you convey this information to your doctor, you're ready way ahead of the game. So let's say you've developed a headache. So one question you want to ask is, so how long have you had headaches? Have you suffered sort of questions about timing of things, the frequency of the symptoms? Have you had these before? Then you want to think about location. Where, where is this pain? Where does it travel to? Does it, tra- does it radiate any place in the body? Um, and what tends to bring it on? A drink of uh, a, you know, a glass of wine, um, uh, stress, uh, things of that nature. What makes it better? What do you do to treat uh, the pain when you get it. So you get a sense now of just the fundamental questions around the symptom can be already very, very helpful for the doctor as they formulate their differential diagnosis. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Fellman. We're speaking with Dr. Alan Ettinger, a neurologist who specializes in the treatment of epilepsy. He's the author of a wonderful book entitled The Essential Patient Handbook, Getting the Healthcare You Need from Doctors Who Know. Let's talk for a few minutes about um, communication issues. For example, issues related to medications, test results, and surgery. Um, what, what should patients and doctors be communicating uh, about re- related to medications? So, we uh, are hearing more and more about potential risks associated with medications. There are all sorts of complexities related to drug interactions. So again, here is where the patient can take a very active role in helping their doctor to, to optimize their treatment. So when you come to see the doctor and you're already treated by another physician, for example, uh, or a specialist has placed you on a medication, very important to come prepared with the following information. One thing, it would be very helpful to actually bring the jars of the medication. Uh, so if there's any question uh, what you are on, you can actually show it to the doctor. But it's also helpful to write down what is the name of the medication. Is it brand or generic? That's a very hot topic nowadays. Uh, We're talking a lot about it in our epilepsy community, and as a member of the Professional Advisory Board for the National Epilepsy Foundation, we're really talking about this issue because there have been concerns about whether uh, generic medications are really equivalent to brand. So you want to specify what you're taking. You want to list for the doctor what each dose is, how many milligrams, 
and then how many pills you take in the morning, how much in the midday, and how much in the evening. You also want to provide the doctor with a sense of, is this the highest dose you've ever been on? Have you ever been on higher doses? Uh, if you were and you're on lower doses, why was it reduced? Was it because of a side effect that the doctor needs to know? Um, you want to list all your medications because uh, potential drug interactions could be playing a role in some of your symptoms. So this, these are the kinds of things that we elaborate upon in some of these checklists you mentioned in the Essential Patient Handbook, which is, again, guide, uh, a guide to preparing all the information even before you meet with the doctor. Should the patient um, put down um, how much they were told to take and when to take it or how much they actually take and, well, and when they can, take it? Yes, there, there can <laughs> be quite a difference there. So I think if there is a disparity between what the doctor has recommended and what the person is actually taking, it's very important to tell the doctor because if a doctor feels that the medication doesn't seem to be as effective as it should be, and it turns out the reason for that is not that the dose is suboptimal, but because a person has not really been taking the uh, medication regularly or properly, the doctor may increase the dosage, and that itself could, could lead to side effects and toxicities of the drug. Uh, let's take a concrete example of this. You specialize in epilepsy. If I were the mom of a child with epilepsy, and I was coming to see you, and you're very handsome in your white coat on the cover of the book. You know, you're the authority figure. I think I might feel a little, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a little nervous about telling the doctor that I haven't been giving my child the medicine every night the way I was supposed to be. Uh, it's a very good point. First of all, uh, I would say your most accurate point was about the handsome guy on the cover. Yeah. Uh, there, there may be some people also uh, you could interview that would retort that point, but we won't go into that. Okay, so let's talk about seriously about the issue of the medications. Um, there's no easy answer for this, except that uh, we're all human um, uh, I often, when I, I, I actually do some research on the topic of uh, the, these terms, compliance with medication, adherence, things of that nature. And um, when I lecture to doctors about this topic, and uh, I show graphs how some of our patients with various disorders have actually not taken their medications uh, to the most proper extent, then I ask the doctors in the, in the audience, so think about the last time your doctor prescribed an antibiotic. How many of you actually took the entire dosage of the antibiotics that were prescribed for you and uh, took the, to the very last pill, as it says on the pill jar, take the complete dose? And, in fact, there, there's not one hand in the audience yeah. that goes up. Even among the so-called so uh, know-it-all doctors, in fact, we are all, uh, to some extent, uh, having difficulties being completely, uh, the term we often use now is adherent to the regimens that have been prescribed by our doctors. So we have to be upfront and we have to try. I think one thing that can be very helpful is to find a doctor that you feel comfortable talking to. And there are often many legitimate reasons for not taking medications completely as originally prescribed. For example, uh, certain difficulties tolerating the medication, side effects. Um, and sometimes we forget. And not only 
sometimes is there an issue that we sometimes forget to take the medication. Sometimes we might even say we've, we've, we forgot that we, for, we had forgotten. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're not sure if we forgot to take a medication. So, you know, it, this is just human nature, and we should be just try to be as upfront with our doctors as possible. That's the key, to be upfront so that they, they know what to do. Um, test results, any, any specific comments about test results? Well, we now live in a very sophisticated medical environment, and um, it really seems that uh, there's a test for any kind of symptom that you have. Now, I'm going to sound like some of my old fogey professors uh, that I recall from my medical school days, and that's quite a few years ago now. Um, And those professors said, you know, there are going to be a lot of tests that are being uh, introduced and there are all sorts of sophisticated technologies you'll be learning about, but there's nothing as good as taking a good history. So I feel that even with so many technologies, MRIs and PET scans and you name it, in fact, our decision about which test to order and which direction to go should not be guided by the availability of technology. It really, again, should be... uh, guided by a very thoughtful consideration of what the diagnostic possibilities are. And that's, again, where the patient plays the very crucial role of providing the information that is needed so the doctor can say, well, I'm coming down to this list. It could be diagnosis A, it could be diagnosis B or C, to further clarify which diagnosis. Now I'm going to select the test. I always regret, uh, and we certainly do see this, you know, there's the temptation to order a million tests, and there's also a medical legal environment considerations as well that leads to a lot of tests being ordered. But the more optimal situation is where there's a very thoughtful decision about which test to order, and this is predicated upon uh, a differential diagnosis. I, I will throw in also that one of the things that uh, Dr. Weisbrot and I labored upon in writing this book is a chapter uh, providing a list of symptoms, uh, the common symptoms that we all may in- incur. And in that chapter, you can look up the specific questions that relate to that symptom. And the reason this is important is We devised this chapter by looking at differential diagnosis lists associated with each symptom. So by preparing information for these questions, you're actually sometimes reminding your physicians of the diagnostic possibilities they should be thinking about. Again, a win-win situation between doctor and patient. And the last thing I wanted to touch on with respect to test results was the idea that... um you know, a, a common way for a result for t- for a test to be communicated is the the well. I never heard the result. Must have been fine. Approach. Right. That's a bit of a dangerous approach uh, for sure, both for patient and doctor. Um, we uh, we have a system in place where we check off boxes for tests that were ordered, and then we check that we've conveyed re- that we received the results and then have conveyed the results, I often ask my patients to also call in 
if they haven't heard from us, just as an additional uh, maneuver to, to ensure that we've con- uh, conveyed the results to our patients. All right. Well, there's there's so much in the book that surgery, complementary medicine. Our time is short. There's I did want to make sure I covered um, phone calls to the doctor, and maybe we could even expand that to talk about emails to the doctor. Um, what, what advice do you have about those issues? Well, I would say that one thing that can be very, very helpful before you call the doctor is organizing the information. And uh, I, being on call, very frequently receive calls at, at night, and it's just so much more helpful when uh, my patient tells me they're feeling some symptom, I'm suspicious of a side effect from a medication, and then I ask the patient, so because uh, I often don't have the chart with me after hours, obviously, and I say, so what medication are you on? Uh, and my patient says, well, uh, I'll tell you what, doctor, hold on a second, and then they're rummaging through their cabinets, they're looking for their pills, or some of my patients know the names of their medications, but again, do not know their doses, and this is crucial information. Uh, another situation is where a person has run out of a medication and they're calling for a refill. So in such a situation, it's crucial to have the name of the pharmacy and their telephone number. Uh, without that, obviously, uh, one cannot call the pharmacy and, and, and get this situation taken care of. Oh, a, a, a small but critically helpful uh, piece of information there. That's great. Um, anything special patients should know before they end up going to the hospital? Well, the, the hospital is a very intimidating environment. That, that is for sure. And uh, we've dedicated a very large chapter in, in the Essential Patient Handbook uh, to that issue. Um, what we talk about are things to prepare before you going to the, go to the hospital, uh, using some of the things that we've t- touched upon in uh, your interview today with me, uh, preparing the information to provide to the doctor, to give to them in the emergency room your, your list of medications, your doses, maybe bring the pills, bring uh, information about your past medical history, bring information about and telephone numbers of your physicians so that the emergency room or hospital physicians can contact them for more information, things of that nature. Even, uh, it may sound ridiculous, but even prepare, knowing what to prepare in a bag, uh, uh, a suitcase with loose clothing, pajamas, slippers, toiletries, things like that, um, very common that you go to the hospital and you say, oh, I forgot, uh, you know, shirts and uh, or a toothbrush, things of that nature can be very helpful to think of before you go in. You're reminding me of my days uh, going to Boy Scout camp and the list of things that uh, we'd have to have to, to be prepared for that. Well, tell me, um, I, I've taken so much of your time. Any final thoughts for our, for our listeners about um, making sure they have great health or health care? Well, I, I would just like to say you, you touched on one other topic, which is that of preparing for surgery. And I, I must say this is, a, again, a potentially very intimidating situation. 
uh, one doesn't know, uh, doesn't necessarily know who to turn to, who to get the best advice from. I'll share on a personal note. I have the great honor of working with a wonderful team of surgeons at Neurological Surgery PC uh, on Long Island. And one of the things, I'm a neurologist working with surgeons, and one of the things I really admire about them, is, and I think is a potential take-home message uh, for your listeners, is that um, when you're looking for surgeons, you, you really want to make sure that these are individuals who have the top credentials, are very well experienced, have the board certifications, are well uh, thought of uh, in their community, and, um, and, and most important, have experience performing the specific surgeries that are recommended for you. So again, in the Essential Patient Handbook, we provide some checklists that you can use to guide you in making a decision about is this the physician that you want to be working with and uh, what are their qualifications and the whole concept of whether a second opinion would be indicated before you undergo something as uh, major as surgery. Alan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Are you ready to be an active partner in your health care? Do you want to m- make it easy or harder for your doctor to give you superb medical care? If you want to make it easy for your doctor... If you want to do what you can do to make sure you get the best possible medical care, I commend you to Dr. Edinger's book, The Essential Patient Handbook. It lets you think the way a doctor does about organizing your history and um, lab tests and what, what you need to tell your doctor about your illness. Another great resource is... Uh, my little handbook called Great Medical Care, the handbook for making your visit to the doctor better. And you can find a link to this book on the drscore.com homepage. Well, that's it for our show today. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Please join us next time. And until then, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.